Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ronnie Jepson to my Neil Warnock. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are we? I'm absolutely delighted and I'll tell you why, Ryan. This is our fourth or fifth attempt at starting this episode. Yes. And we finally got there. We finally got there. Over the space of 12 hours, we've managed it. We've, we've, we've done it. I feel like we can finish. I feel like I can go home. Don't get too carried away just yet because we have only just started. But Justin is very right, ladies and gentlemen. Due to internet connection issues and Justin's frog in his throat, we've uh, had multiple attempts at starting this podcast and we're now finally here. Um, But aside from that, Justin, you're feeling well, are you? Aside from the frog in my throat, it's, there's a there's a heavy cold going around. I've picked that up again, seemingly ill every five minutes, as mm-hmm. as as per usual. But other than that, yeah, I'm very chipper. It's it's a good time to yeah. The summer's always a bit dull because there's no football, but we're getting we're getting on with it. Yeah, and the content is certainly still continuing from us, isn't it? And that's the most important thing. And with that being said, welcome to the number one championship podcast, ladies and gentlemen, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This is part two of our report card episode where we go through every team who was in the championship last season and give them a grade for the season that they've just had. And more importantly, talk about what we think they're kind of aiming for next season so in the first episode we went through the first half of the championship alphabetically that was Birmingham to Millwall in this episode we're going from Norwich to Wigan so let's kick things off with Norwich Justin what grade have you given them I've given them a D I think that's I've, a fair grade I've given them a D minus so okay. we were okay. in the same ballpark yeah. aren't we and I think with the fact that they finished 13th bottom half finish for Norwich you could argue that maybe we're being a bit generous with that. Having yeah. said that, first half of the season, or at least first third of the season, maybe, Norwich were very good, weren't they? It all just went completely to pot from that point. Yeah, it went tits quite quickly, actually. Um, yeah, well, I was looking into it, and I do remember them having a good start to the season. They lost two of their first 12 before the wheels fell off completely. And this was before the international break as well, before the World Cup break, I should say. So yeah, they, they 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 seem to do fairly well in that first I don't know quarter fifth of the season, and and then really really dropped off, which is why is why they are yeah they, why we've given them a D essentially is it is for them to have such a poor season from that point you know from September onwards is is really quite poor for a team who boasts the number of players or quality of number of players that they they do have. I know injuries didn't help towards the end of the season, but unfortunately. For a team like Norwich, who have just come down from the Premier League, who do have a more than competitive squad, they certainly have got a top half squad. We'll put that out there at the very least. Certainly got a top six squad as well. For them to finish thirteenth is yeah, is really really poor. Yeah, and you could make a very good argument that they were the biggest underachievers of last season. So yeah. that's why I say maybe a, a D D minus is possibly being a bit generous from us. The only other contenders really, I suppose. Uh, Huddersfield, QPR, Watford, but even then, maybe Norwich are top of the pile out of that group. So looking ahead to them next season, Justin, how are you feeling with them? I, I'm i feeling relatively positive. My expectation for Norwich next season would be to at least be competing for the top six. I say at least because there's going to be some sort of upheaval with the playing squad. We've seen the likes of Ashley Barnes come in already. They've signed Jack Stacey this week, which I think is an excellent signing. Obviously, if Max Aarons is departing, I think Jack Stacey is a more than capable option in that right wing-back role. 
and I've seen numerous reports of Shane Duffy potentially joining the, the club as well, even if even if he doesn't. It's clear they're going with experienced heads, which is obviously which is quite obvious with the likes of Ashley Barnes. And I do think the Ashley Barnes signing, whilst I don't think he will score goals, players around him might come to the fore. I, I quite like the, the the thought of Adam Eder. You know, sort of Barnes taking him under his wing and, and getting a lot more out of Eder, being more aggressive, and being more clinical, and just having that. I mean, he's had Timo Puki to, to 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 learn from, but I think Ashley Barnes is a different character, and I think that's going to help Adam Eder as well improve. So, yeah, I'd be expecting him to at least compete for the top six, but that's with the caveat of they still need a lot more adding to their squad. Yeah, it's interesting that they have been cracking on with their transfer business very early. Ashley Barnes, Jack Stacey both come in, both plenty of experience and are clearly replacements for Puki and Aarons, respectively. I imagine this is the start of what's going to be quite a busy summer window for Norwich, both in terms of players going out and coming in. So they definitely need to strengthen in quite a few areas. Will they do a good job of that? I'm not too sure because the recruitment there has been quite poor under Stuart Webber for a while now. But Norwich can sign all the players they want. I cannot get excited about them with David Wagner in charge. They were so bad in those final 10 games. And I personally cannot believe he's still got a job. It looks like they're committing to him because they've just brought in Narkis Palach uh, from Huddersfield as part of his coaching team. But why are they sticking with him? They were statistically worse under him than they were under Dean Smith. And his record between his spell at Huddersfield and Norwich is really bad. The only reason I can think of them sticking with him is because he's Stuart Webber's mate. So what is the aim for next season? It will be a top six finish, that is the aim, but I've got strong doubts about that happening because of the manager. And even if you get sacked, the man who's in charge of appointing a new manager, his judgment is seriously questionable after recent decisions. Well, I say recent decisions, it's been a good few years now. So I'm not really sure about Norwich and I've I've got doubts about them actually challenging for the top six again next season. Uh, let's go to Preston, Justin. What have you given them? I've given them a B minus, and I think the mid table, the fact that they finished mid table, might skew some people because we've said that they're a very mid table team. But I'm, I'm bringing into the fact the factor that they were knocking on the door of the playoffs up until three games, three or four games to go. So that's the reason why I've given them a B minus. They, they did impress me for large portions of the season. I won't put a percentage on it because they did have periods of, of, of poorness, but. If you contextualise it with a poor summer transfer window and Ryan Lowe trying to play with, you know, trying to create a, a really cohesive forward-thinking unit with not those type of players, I think he's done quite well. I've given them a C minus. Okay. I think at the start of the season, if you told me Preston would have finished twelfth, I would have not been surprised at all. Preston are a very mid-table side. I'd maybe give Ryan Lowe a higher grade than a C minus, but Preston as a club. I don't think they've really outdone expectations at all, have they? Um, here's an interesting stat for you, Justin. Preston have now finished between 11th and 14th in six of the last eight seasons. I really struggle to see how they escape mid-table mediocrity because they are just the definition of a mid-table side, aren't they? And even though they had a little flirt with the playoffs towards the end of the season, I think we would have already always been amazed if they actually did finish in there and eventually they ended up being mid-table again anyway, didn't they? Ryan Lowe did a very good job last season despite limited resources and I think he could do more with better tools at his disposal. The squad, though, is by and large made up of good championship players. The likes of Jordan Story, Liam Lindsay, Ben Whiteman, they could be labelled very good championship players but not much more than that. And then there are plenty of others in this squad who are just a bit meh. They struggle to sign players who are extremely good. And when they do, they're usually on loan, like Cameron Archer. Maybe Tom Cannon can be put in that bracket as well. And you can use their lack of resources as an excuse, but, I mean, you've just had Coventry and Luton in the playoff final. They've shown you don't need a big budget to fight for promotion. So... The recruitment for Preston has got to be a lot better, a lot more clever than it has been if they want to actually accomplish anything. 
the sad truth is I can't see that happening unless they really spring a surprise this summer. I think there are a lot of good good arguments there, but when you when you consider the fact that they they once they they've got a good budget for a championship level, but Ryan Lowe I think has been let down, and that's probably why you think Ryan Lowe should be graded higher than perhaps Preston. But at the same time, for those players to be able to be in with the in with the playoff shout with with three or four games to go, lost Emil Reese Jacobs into to a long term injury. Didn't have a natural right wing back for long. Well, for the whole season, Brad Potts isn't a natural right wing back. So I think, yeah, I think they did. They did a decent enough job for me to, yeah, really, really rate them quite highly of, of what they did last season. I think Tom Cannon coming in really propelled them as well. So there are good foundations there for for the Preston to build, and I think, and I think using that, using this season as a, as a trampoline, as a catapult for for better things, is, is really what they need to aim for. But do you seriously think they will use this as a catapult for bigger things, Justin? Well, they've failed to do that in the past, so I, I, I don't exactly. seriously, I don't think that to be the case. But there's potential there, and I think with Ryan Lowe, and he's spoken, you know, quite outrightly about it. He wants backing, and if you know, if he's not going to be convinced that it's going to be the case from the board, then he's, well, he's going to have his head turned, isn't he? Or he's going to, he's going to depart because there are some decent jobs available that he might have his head turned by. Well, that's it. And if they don't get don't give him a backing, then what's the point in him sticking around? I mean, ask Plymouth fans if 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 another job comes knocking, then he's not shy about uh, taking that step to another club, is he? Let's go to QPR, Justin. This is an interesting one. What have you given them? I've given them an F. Interesting. I've given them an E. I haven't given anyone an F in my yeah. grades. I think QPR were probably the nearest to getting an F. And you, for me, you'd have to have a catastrophically bad season for you to get an F in my books. If QPR went down, they probably would have got an F. Simply put, they shouldn't have been in a relegation battle. Simple as that. But I think an E is, is the lowest I'm willing to go with them. You'll be, I think you're being very generous. I think they have had, they've had the closest you could possibly get to a catastrophically bad season. Take the first 12 games out of it. QPR are bottom three, aren't they? They're, they were terrible outside of Mick Beale's reign. It's been quite astonishing, really. I know we've got to factor in the whole season. If you could grade it into two parts, you'd say that Mick Beale, Mick Beale stint was an A. You know, they were yeah. in, they were top of the league. And then, I don't know, can you get an ungraded for the rest of it? Because that's what it is for QPR from my perspective. It really was that bad. Neil Critchley tried to get them going and he failed. And then Gareth Ainsworth, I know a lot of QPR fans will try and defend Gareth Ainsworth and there is that element of him needing a pre-season, blah, blah, blah. But he did his very best to take QPR down, didn't he? That's what it felt like from the outside. He didn't do a very good job at all. No, you're right. It was an F for four-fifths of the season. But... The A at the first fifth maybe just kind of evens it out to an E in my book. But anyway, let's talk about them heading into next season. And if anyone listened to part one of our grade report, you will have heard me say Cardiff are the team I'm most worried about. QPR are probably the second most. It's quite difficult to find much encouragement when their manager has won 11 points from a possible 39 We've seen teams before end a season in poor form and then that continues into the next season and I think that will be the case with QPR. The football under Gareth Ainsworth is just so one-dimensional and I don't believe hoofing the ball up to Lyndon Dykes all season is going to be a sustainable way of getting results. It wasn't working last season and they would have stayed up by a point if you ignore Reading's points deduction and, of course, the good start they had under Mick Beale. I mean, you look at the squads, the two best technical players in Elias Chair and Chris Willock have both been linked with moves away. You take those two out of the side and it's a huge drop to the next best technical player. And I think they'll both go because they don't fit into the Ainsworth system. From reports this week, Lyndon Dykes might be heading out the door as well, which, I mean, Lyndon Dykes is by no means the most prolific striker on earth, but he's so important to this Ainsworth system, but due to a disagreement over contracts, it looks like he may be going out the door as well. So 
who who's going to fill that void instead? I just don't know. And my fear is just in that QPR will sign players who suit how Ainsworth wants to play. The results aren't very good. Still, Ainsworth gets sacked. And then they have a squad which is half built for Route 1 and half built for playing it on the ground like they were doing before this whole fiasco. So I struggle to find much excitement in Queen's Park Rangers heading into next season, I've got to say. I am worried about them massively under Gareth Ainsworth. You've mentioned Lyndon Dykes. I know Rob Dick has been linked with a move away. A lot of key players are being linked with moves away, which is not what you want. It's clearly, you know, if, you, if you're a cynical person, it might be their agents at work trying to get moves elsewhere and it, it doesn't make for a happy camp does it and that's what mm. makes you worry I, I'm i not a big fan of Gareth Ainsworth I think a couple of weeks before the end of the season I reeled off a ton of stats about um, XG created and XG conceded in those games that they were winning that, that ultimately kept the team up and it still wasn't comfortable reading from just a, an outside perspective just because it's not sustainable form, and I think that's going to carry over. I think the the look, not look, um, the, the the job that Gareth Ainsworth had at Wickham was very much building a team from the ground up. Wickham were in the doldrums; they were down and out, and he built the team from the ground up. QPR weren't in that position, and they're not in that position. They're a Championship side; they've got a long way to drop before they get built back up again. And I think Gareth Ainsworth, if he's, if he's in charge, he's ultimately going to take. I think he's going to take the club down. I do worry about them. Not a lot of money to spend as well either in the, in the summer, I would expect. Will they reinvest money they bring in for players? Will they reinvest it wisely? That's been shown not to be the case over the years. Not a lot of positives, is there? And going back to what you are saying about the football, I think that football is the kind of football at championship level which suits fighting to stay up. It was f- f- relatively effective at Wickham when they were in the championship. <laughs> And when you're well, QPR, I, I, gone. Wickham went down. This, this well, of course they did. They, they were relegated, yeah. So, Well, the, the, the thing is with Wickham, of course, they had a tiny budget and I think everyone expected them to go down anyway. But with QPR, I don't see them progressing up the table with this style of football because it just doesn't suit the squad and it doesn't look like there's much of a game plan there anyway. So... Plenty to be concerned about with Queen's Park Rangers, especially with the fans not being particularly happy with how the club's being run either. Let's talk about Reading. What grade are you giving them, Justin? They were an interesting case. I found it really difficult to, to grade Reading. Uh, ultimately, I've given them a D. And again, you've got to take into account their expectations at the start of the season. The fact that they were given a points deduction that took them down. Uh, as well as well as that, you've got to consider how effective they were in the first half of the season how ineffective they were in the second half of the season so I found a really tough team to, to grade so I think from my perspective I think a D is around about a fair medium for, for Reading because as I say all those factors coming into it difficult difficult to, <laughs> to nail down for them yeah I've given them a D as well but I'm worried if I'm being a bit harsh with them because as you say it's not the season everyone predicted them to go down yeah. and they would have stayed up if it wasn't for a points deduction. So maybe really they should be looking maybe towards a C. I don't know. But how are you feeling about them heading into League One next season? I'm actually feeling very positive. I think coming out of, you know, just getting relegated, there's obviously a lot of you know, frustration. There's a lot of disappointment, but has turned into optimism. And that's the same with me. I think if they do manage to appoint Chris Wilder, I think it'd be an absolute masterstroke. If they get the Chris Wilder that, Chris Welt, yeah, the one that managed Oxford, the one that managed Northampton, the one that managed Sheffield United in the first three seasons, not the not the well, not the fifth season, first, first four seasons, they could they could well win the league. There's potentially the, the the aspect of the transfer restrictions easing as well, which will be a massive positive because they get a little bit more freedom and le- uh, lenience in, in recruitment, and that could be a massive thing for Chris Wilder and or whoever's in charge might might be Chris Wilder, but. Yeah, a lot more optimism from my perspective. They've got a good enough squad, I think, to be competitive for promotion in their current state, with it, albeit adding a couple more players, add Chris Wilder into the mix and a couple more players. I, I'm very positive about them next season. Yeah, it's got to be said, the Wilder appointment, if it does happen, is a huge statement of intent. We will point out that we are recording this uh, prior to Sunday, so unless something happens uh, between now and this episode going out, Chris Wilder hasn't been appointed yet, but... 
Chris Wilder being appointed without a doubt would be a huge statement of intent for a League One side. I had kind of just dismissed it as paper talk because I didn't think he'd be willing to step down to League One. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for him for doing so, if it actually does happen. I just thought he'd definitely get a championship job at some point this season. I think you can question whether he still has the magic he once had. His Middlesbrough and Watford spells ended fairly disastrously, as did his final season at Sheffield United. But this is Chris Wilder we're talking about, whose record previously was unbelievable. So it's a very impressive appointment, undeniably. I do tend to think I'd rather a young manager who's looking to make a name for himself in the game than someone like Chris Wilder, who's been and done it, if I'm in the shoes of a club like Reading. You look at you know, the teams who have just come up from League One this season, Stephen Schumacher, um, Kieran McKenna and Darren Moore, all young-ish managers who are looking to make a name for themselves in the game. Wilder is also very good at falling out with people and <laughs> I could definitely see this one ending in tears. Um, so that's it. It's either going to all end in tears or it could end in Reading getting promoted. It's going to be great viewing, whatever the case. But who knows how it's going to go. But undeniably eye-catching. Uh, let's go to Rotherham, Justin. I've given them a B plus. How about you? I've given them a B. So, yeah, I give, we agree quite a lot on these. It's been a good season for that. It's not usually the case. We normally out each other's throats. So hats off to us for being relatively yeah, friendly. It's all about what our agendas are saying, really, don't it, Justin? Um <laughs> I'd like to sit here and say, you know, Rotherham stayed up less last season. Now they can look further up the table. I'm not sure that will happen, though. And the target may very well be to simply stay up again. You've got three very good teams coming up from League One. You've got three bad teams who are out of the equation now. have just been relegated out of the division. Can we really sit here and say there will definitely be three worse teams than Rotherham next season? I'm not sure. I hope I'm wrong and they have a a fairly uneventful season. I think Rotherham fans would love that if that did happen. They'll have to strengthen the squad quite a bit though. One issue is a lot of their best players last season were on loan. Chiodozi Ogbeni, who was arguably the best outfield player for them, looks set to leave. So they'll need to have an active summer. The good thing is Matt Taylor is quietly doing a very good job. At Rotherham, he guided them to their highest league finish in nearly five decades last season. He seems to get the championship more than Paul Warren did, who, of course, has three relegations under his belt with Rotherham. Matt Taylor's the first uh, Rotherham manager to keep them in the division in quite some time. So he's the main positive for me, having Matt Taylor in charge of this squad heading into next season. And as long as he gets some backing in some shape or form this summer, then... Rotherham can stay up again. Well, he did a really good job at Exeter City, didn't he? A, you know, they were working against the odds for a long time. It's, you know, a, a, an okay budget for, for League Two and a low budget for League One, and he was still more than competitive up until the point of his departure to Rotherham in 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 the third tier. So he was doing a very good job down at Exeter City, and he, he stepped up. I think had a really you know a fairly decent start, but then he dropped off quite considerably and then it, and it picked up again and I think the January recruitment was quite good and if they can repeat that recruitment they did in January throughout the summer window have that same ethos of, of recruiting or trying to recruit relatively established championship players with maybe one or two youngsters because obviously Hjelda came in I know Morrison came in and he played one game but at least the ambition there was there to sign an experienced championship player who knows what he's doing same with Jordan Hugel Tarek Fossil as well the recruitment was by and large quite quite effective and quite good. And I think if they can repeat that in the summer, they could have a good season. Now, what a good season looks like is probably finishing sort of lower mid-table, round about where they are now, and not being in a rele- relegation battle. That's where they'd want to be. Whether they get to that point, I don't know. Budgets may, may or may not allow that. But I think Matt Taylor can turn them more... He can turn them into a competitive championship team. Um, he's got the potential to do it. And I think it is an exciting period for Rotherham. It just depends whether there are going to be worse teams than them with you know, decent enough budgets. It's all about recruitment for Rotherham. If they can repeat that January transfer window, they'll be good. Yeah, definitely. Final one before we have a little break, Justin, is Sheffield United. What have you given them? I've given them a B plus. I don't know if they're being harsh or not. 
Is that, I think is that being harsh? very harsh, yeah. I've given them an A. And I say that because, yeah. you know, Burnley were smashing the division left, right and centre. And Sheffield United kept pace with them for quite some time. And, you know, I think the stat was, I haven't got it in front of me, but Sheffield United are one of the best second place teams ever in terms of points. So to give them anything lower than an A-, minus, I think it's a bit, a bit harsh, Justin. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you now. I think I wrote this in the midst of a bit of a mood the other evening, and maybe <laughs> maybe I was being a bit harsh. 91 points is a is a really good tally. 11 points ahead of third. Didn't really take that into account, and I should have because that's a very obvious stat. They've had injuries as well. I was being harsh. I apologise to all Blades fans. They won't care much because they're not going to listen to us next season of being the Premier League. Yep. But nonetheless. They did an incredible job. Yeah, I was, I was very harsh on him. It's the injuries thing. that Injuries, transfer embargo, ownership uncertainty. A lot of factors to deal with. Coventry have had the same ones and I gave them, gave them an A. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking there. Definitely an A no. for Sheffield United. No, that must have been one hell of a mood you were in the other <laughs> night, Justin. How are you feeling about them in the Premier League next season? In fact, I think the thing is with Sheffield United, Burnley smashing the championship and Luton's unbelievable story with their promotion. Sheffield United have kind of been forgotten about a bit, haven't they? It's going to be difficult to assess their survival chances until the takeover gets done, I suppose. Until then, I would be a bit worried about Sheffield United. They just need a takeover out of the way so they can start cracking on with signing players. I mean, right now I'm looking at the three teams who have gone up I would say I fancy Luton stay up more than Sheffield United. That's in large part because Luton's recruitment is top draw, as we all know. So they can now get on with bringing players in. Well, Sheffield United obviously can't. Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if all three teams stayed up, all being well. Um, We need to know who's staying, don't we, first of all. There were numerous key players out of contract this summer, but the club's retain list hasn't been revealed at the time of recording. However... There is a good spine at Bramall Lane. You've got Abed Hozic and Egan at the back. Two very solid defenders. Two of the best defenders in the division last season. Norwood and Berger in midfield. I mean, Ollie Norwood had a sensational season. And Sander Berger should be playing in the Premier League anyway. And then Illiman Ndai is an unbelievable player in his own right. That's looking very strong as a spine. And it forms a very good base for them to work around. And plus, the most important thing for me is... Paul Heckingbottom is a great manager. Someone said to me recently, he's underrated really, and I would 100% agree with that. He'll make them tough to beat, and that's what Sheffield Sheffield United need to be in the Premier League. They just need to be tough to beat, and as long as they do that, they've got a great chance of staying up. One of the key factors, I think, of them going down um, from the Premier League couple of seasons ago was the fact that football was played behind closed doors and Bramwell Lane was a big factor in them picking up points they're not going to have that next season we've seen the likes of the City ground play a massive role for Nottingham Forest staying in the uh, in, in the Premier League probably not not the case with other Premier League sides but you can you can really see the benefit of home form and obviously the fans are going to be back in the ground it's going to be great a great atmosphere most most games if not all the games they're going to give I think they'll give every single team a game. It's just whether or not they're going to have quality to stay up. That's the key thing, which you you've reeled off. It's not a massive change either from the team that came down a couple of seasons ago. Albeit Elliman and Dye's risen, you can argue that he's a massive improvement on what that squad had when Chris Wilder went up. Give or take two or more players. Admet Hozic as well as another one. So yeah, there's question marks over whether or not the squad's improved over the last two years. Maybe it has a little bit. I don't know. But I think they'll be more than competitive. It's just, as I say, it's just whether or not they've got enough quality. And that's the key thing, is, is quality. Yeah, and getting a takeover done would certainly help with that. So get a jiffy on, boys. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, Just enough After that, we'll talk about the rest of the teams in our report card, going from Stoke to Wigan. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So we're going through our grade report, report card, report card, I keep saying grade, um, where we're giving grades to each team in the championship. And we're now on Stoke City. I've given them a big D minus, Justin. A D. 
I've given them a D. D minus is probably more than fair. Just, they're the team that loves to let you down. So a D is absolutely fair. If your child brought home a D on his report card or on their report card, you'd be disappointed in them. And that's just Stoke City in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I think the thing is, we're so used to disappointment with Stoke now that we're, a D minus is maybe being a bit harsh because if you talk about expectations, they kind of hit the expectations on the head <laughs> they didn't they? because they let us down. So, yeah, it, it was just a, a really miserable season for Stoke, a completely unremarkable season where at times they did look like they may be in danger of potentially going down. That was always a bit of a long shot, but they did flirt with it on occasion. However, they've mainly occupied the lower mid-table area for the majority of the season. I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, surely Stoke can't have as miserable a season as they just have again. I say this, but they do always underperform expectations. Even if the squad looks good, the manager looks good, there always seems to be something that goes wrong. So... I don't ever want to get too carried away with them because I've been burned so many times before. Got to be said, two points from your final seven games isn't a promising end to the season. And I think there are plenty of Stoke fans who are still very much unconvinced by Alex Neal. He is a good manager, though, and their squad could be very tidy depending on who comes in this summer. The likes of Ben Pearson, Keon Hoiver, Axel Twenzebi have been linked with permanent moves after loan spells, I think any one of them would be eye-catching signings if they come in in a permanent deal. It wouldn't surprise me if they actually do relatively well next season. But I'm just so used to Stoke looking good and then not doing well that I don't want to get my hopes up. In the last five seasons, they've continually, continuously finished between 14th and 16th. There's not been any deviation from 14th and 16th. They've got to get their act together and have some sort of strategy if they want to get out of this mid-table limbo because right now this is the definition of a directionless club going nowhere spot on there are direct directionless club things start behind the scenes don't they that's where the structure of success comes from is, is getting things right behind the scenes and, and, and Car- uh, Stoke haven't got that right for, for a long time there's been a lot of upheaval um, in amongst sort of the, the the footballing team behind the squad, whether that improves things remains to be seen. But recruitment's been very unremarkable over the last few years. And as I say, that they're a team that you expect to do well, but you also expect them to do terribly as well. So I guess they sort of even out as to a very unremarkable lower mid-table team as they have done over the last few years. If Alex Neal can't get a tune out of this team, if Michael O'Neill can't get a tune out of this team, obviously if Gary Rowett struggled, Nathan Jones has struggled, or you know, all these managers have very good pedigree, where does this club go next? And it's really hard to say, and this is why it's incredibly difficult to to predict exactly what they do next season, the season beyond that. They're an impossible, impossible team to to really nail down because you just put your finger in the air and that's literally it with Stoke City. Yeah. You the direction of the club Determined is dependent on who the people in charge of the club are. And when Stoke have been through as many managers as they have and have constantly finished between 14th and 16th, then you start to got you've got to start looking at the hierarchy, haven't you? And ask why isn't this club progressing in some form of direction? Let's go to Sunderland, Justin. What have you given them? I've given them a B plus. I've 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 put really? aside my Yes. Yes. What have you given them? I've given them an A. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> do you know what I was about to make a speech about me being my putting putting aside my my underperformance notion of them there my 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 poor expectations of them. I, I thought I was being very generous with the, with a B plus. I think a B plus is fair because they do have a decent budget for a for a team. I know they've come up from League One, but they still have a very competitive budget at Championship level. Now, a top six finish is a remarkable season, but again, with with the budget they have. You'd expect them to put that run together. I know we predicted them to finish sort of 16th, you? 15th. I, I think so. I know you've got Just to in take the, into the account. The first promoted team to get to the playoffs in eight seasons, the injury crisis that they've had, yeah. surely it's got to be an A. What did you give commentary? I can't remember what you gave commentary. Also gave them an A. Okay, right, fair enough. My argument's completely gone out the window. <laughs> 
I, I just think again, if we take into a whole club account the whole the whole um, the factor in everything, just the home form. I've mentioned it before has let them down. Playoff second leg a little bit underwhelming, and the fact that the club didn't plan in bringing in additional an additional forward in case Ross Stewart got injured. Ellis Sim should have been replaced alongside Joel Gellhart so they could use that master plan of bringing in Gellhart to play behind a forward. It, things could have been better is, is why I've probably given him a B plus, which is incredible because we predicted them and the expectations were quite low. We predicted them to finish lower mid-table. I, again, I'm probably being harsh, but I think I'm being generous. No, you're definitely not being generous. Um, let's see how generous you are with your predictions for them next season. What What are you thinking with Sunderland? I think they'll push for the top six. Again, I, I do think that they will build upon this season. I think they're a very switched on club. Christian Speakman, the technical director or sporting director, however you want to coin him, is a very, very good runner of a club. Very poor, poor use of words, but you get what I'm saying. The squad planning has been good to an extent. I expect them to learn the lessons that they you know, sort of failed to really capitalise on last season and, and, and learn from them and, and improve the squad in key areas. They need defenders. They need you know, creative players. They probably need someone to come in um, to replace Corey Evans in the long term. And they also need additional forwards to make sure that they've got enough firepower should Ross Stewart either leave, leave or, or get injured again. So as long as they learn those lessons, I think they can push for the top six. They're, they've got the talent. They've got the quality, they've got experience in, in some of the players and they've got Tony Mowbray as well, who I think is an underrated manager. I know what I've said in the past, but I do think he's an underrated manager at this level. I think you're not being ambitious enough with Sunderland, wow. Justin. Wow. I've got high hopes for Sunderland next season. It seems like Tony Mowbray will be holding on to his job, whether he's the man to get them promoted or not. I don't know. But if he were to lose his job, as was rumoured, it would have been undeniably very harsh. And they should fancy their chances of another top six finish, at least. Maybe even more. People have assumed they won't be as good next season without Ahmad Diallo. I think those people are very wrong. It's a very young squad, but those players are all a year older. You'd expect Jack Clark to be even better, assuming he stays. Trey Hume will be even better. Pierre Equa will be even better. Dan Neal will be even better. And also, Sunderland were blighted by injuries last season easily the worst injury crisis in the division it can't possibly be as bad as that again so that should mean the likes of Ross Stewart Dan Ballard Dennis Serkin Elliot Embleton Adjelise many others will feature a lot more next season and they won't be heading into the playoffs playing no centre-backs and <laughs> plus Sunderland's recruitment has been excellent in the past couple of seasons. Most of the players I've just mentioned were brought in in the last couple of seasons for a pittance. And these owners are very ambitious. They want to get to the Premier League. I feel very excited about what Sunderland can do next season. And I wouldn't rule them out challenging for the top two. Considering what they've done with their recruitment, how good they did last season anyway, despite the massive injury crisis, there's no reason why they can't go a step better than what they've just accomplished. Let's go to Swansea, Justin. Bit of an interesting one. I've given them a C. I've given them a C plus. I think a 10th place finish justifies the plus from my perspective. But there is a lot of negatives that you need to bring up with Swansea over the course of the season. Yeah, there certainly is. Um, considering many had them down as a bit of a dark horse for last season. And they finished 10th, even though they were more a bottom half side for most of the season weren't they they had a bit of a late flurry at the end of the season which kind of rescued or made things look a lot better than they actually were um, that, that put a bit more gloss back on the season didn't it but I think C's probably fine next season's a bit worrying to say the very least didn't it it's been a very concerning start to the summer the manager's leaving chief execs left there's been a big clear out at board level all of their fullbacks have been released. It's the kind of start to the summer which often leads to a bad season. And that's not always the case, but it's without a doubt been a concerning couple of weeks. So there's a long to-do list for those in charge of Swansea, isn't there? If Russell Martin had stayed, I think I'd be relatively optimistic about them having a very good season. Maybe challenging for the top six. Right now, I can't see that unless... Everything just seems to come together in a matter of weeks, which it could very well do. There's quite a few areas 
where they've got to strengthen the squad in terms of quality and also in terms of depth. So worrying is how I'd sum it up for the Swans heading into next season, Justin. There are a lot of concerns, absolutely, absolutely. I think if you go back to the Cyrus Christie transfer saga of last summer, the fact that the club wouldn't offer him you know, fairly decent terms and he ended up not getting a club until I think it's September when he signed for Hull, I think is the, the, you know, it's quite staggering the fact that he was so good for Swansea and the club weren't willing to invest in a free transfer. If the club's not willing to invest in a free transfer, who are they willing to invest in? Clearly it wasn't Russell Martin because obviously whether he stays at Swansea or not, is it is it is it, is it, is a is a big thing, but they're going to have to recruit a manager. Are they going to want to go out and get a manager and pay compensation for someone? If they do, they'll show ambition. That's a good thing from my perspective, and that will really set the tone for the summer. But if they don't, and they they sign, I mean, if there's a good manager available for on a free, he's a free agent. I don't know how you just unemployed. Then absolutely, they've done a good job. But I just can't see that with the Swansea board. They 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 aren't willing to invest into the club they aren't willing to invest into their managers which is you know it's why Steve Cooper ultimately got hexed off and in left it's why Russell Martin is on the verge of leaving it's a familiar it's a familiar theme with this Swansea board and unfortunately that's why they've regressed down from the Premier League to a to a mid-table championship team yeah and if this start of the summer is anything to go by they may be regressing even more let's go to Watford Justin what grade are you giving them give them a C minus Again, it, it might be a I've generous given them a D minus. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Well, my my thinking behind it is they were in with a shout of the playoffs for you know, I think it was two two games to go, which isn't good enough, but at least they had a chance. And I think when you go through three managers throughout the season, there's going to be a lot of disjointedness. There's going to be a lot of frustration from supporters. Uh, and unfortunately, obviously, they're going to be ruining the, the decision of sacking Rob Edwards. But unfortunately, the the, you know, the recruitment came. You know, it's, it's been a scatter good. It's been a scatter good approach season for Watford recruitment, managerial appointments. It's been a strange odd season, but I still think they've managed to be relatively competitive in the top half with a view to getting to the playoffs. I think if I was going to give a C minus, I'd be looking at Watford maybe finishing seventh, eighth, that kind of ballpark. But the fact they finished eleventh, considering the expectations, considering the manager that they did have at the start of the season and the amount of money they've spent this season, I think a D minus is uh, more than applicable here. Uh, what do you think when them ahead of next season, Justin? I'm excited for them. I oh, really am okay. excited for them. I. I've, there's been a lot of sort of internal um, thoughts over the Ishmael appointment, and I actually I've come around to it, and I do think it's a good one. It just just depends whether or not he's learnt the lessons from West Brom, his West Brom tenure. That being said, if the players weren't underperforming in front of goal, I do think Ishmael maybe could have got West Brom promoted because we have to consider the fact that they were massively wasteful. You know, Jordan Hugel became a a figure of finger pointing and, and and taking the piss out of because of how often he missed chances. What can a manager do to deal with that? So I do think if that was different, I think Ishmael might still be West Brom manager. And West Brom might well be a Premier League club. Alas, that's ifs, buts, and maybes. It's you know pulling things out of the air. I think he can do this with the Watford side. Ben Manga's got experience in Germany. It's, I'm expecting a sort of the a German recruitment approach similar to maybe Burnley with Belgium signing players from Belgium I think Watford will do the same from, from Germany and I think Ishmael is the right man to maybe pull it all together it really does just depend if he can mould this team into his vision if he can wow we've got a we've got a machine an aggressive heavy metal machine in front of us I'm not as optimistic as you I've got to say my instinct is Watford won't be as bad as last season because they were pretty bad Having said that, I'm not a fan of the Valerian Ishmael appointment. I like him as a manager, but I don't think the squad suits him and I don't think the club suits him. I think the profile of club, a team looking to get promoted to the Premier League, shouldn't be looking at someone like Valerian Ishmael. I think he's better off going for a club further down the pecking order, personally. So the thing is, if they want him to be a success, they'll have to back him. And I think they will bring players in but whether they necessarily suit Valo and Ishmael, I'm not sure. So it wouldn't surprise me if he gets sacked, they bring someone else in, 
I mean, this is Watford we're talking about after all. Will that new manager be a success? Who knows? What we do know is João Pedro's gone. He was by far their best player last season and was the most arguably arguably the most talented player in the division last season. Ishmael Assar will again be linked with a move away, although I don't think it will necessarily be a bad thing if they sell him because he was poor last season. Keenan Davis, Hamza Chowdhury, Hassan Kamara were all on loan, all talented players, so they, they will need replacing. So, yeah, Watford need to sign a number of players this summer, not just to get personnel in who suit Valo and Ishmael, but also to make up for... The quality going out the door. The thing is, they've already got quite a large squad. It's just not full of much quality. There's a lot of names in this team who just don't seem to play very much. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of churn in Watford go <laughs> in terms of the uh, exit door and the entrance door. Um, and I'm not really sure what state the squad's going to be in come August time but it's going to be an interesting summer nonetheless and I'm sure they'll bring in plenty of players who we don't know too much about and whether they're successes or not who knows because they did bring in a lot of players last last season and it was a very mixed bag more bad than good <laughs> let's go to West Brom what have you given them Justin? I've given them a C plus again it might be one of those harsh ones but you've got to factor in the Steve Bruce tenure into this I think I would give Corbran a B and I'll give Steve Bruce a B so I think it averages out um, as, a, as a C plus I think Corbran did his very best to get this team into the playoffs it was just it just ended up being too much of a too much of a gap for them I know Middlesbrough managed it but I think Carrick had a little bit more time or certainly had a, a, a little bit more to play with in January West Brom didn't I'm surprised you think you're being harsh because I've given them a C minus Um and the reason for that, again, is you look at where they finished the table. They finished ninth, as I was just saying, with Watford. If I was going to give a C- minus to them, they would probably be in the 7th or 8th bracket, considering their pre-season expectations, and that's applicable with uh, West Brom as well. Um, for me, right now, West Brom are the most difficult club to predict in terms of where they could end up next season, because there's a lot of unanswered questions. The CEO, Von Gorle, has left this week. Bit of a divisive figure, but when we've had Alistair from Action for Albion on the pod, he spoke fairly positive about him doing what he could, considering what's going on with the owner. And the owner, of course, is just... Uh, annoys me even thinking about him. <laughs> is Gorle's departure at the start of the dominoes beginning to fall? Who really knows, but I don't see it as a sign of encouragement that he's got. There's questions over the future of Carlos Corbran as well. That's because Leeds are sniffing around him. Of course, he was a coach there under Marcello Bielsa, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him go. Would I be confident about West Brom getting the next appointment right if he does go? Not sure, because West Brom's appointment record has been pretty poor in recent years, apart from Carlos Corbran. That's been one of the rare ones they've got right. And with the uncertainty going on behind the scenes, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see West Brom have a really bad season. I mean, lest we forget, they were having a really bad season until Carlos Corbran came in and really salvaged it. At the other end of the spectrum, between November and January, West Brom were brilliant under Corbran, weren't they? If we see more of that team, they could have an excellent season. They have the squad to do it. It does need additions, but it's certainly capable. I mean, John Swift, Jed Wallace, Cal Bartley, Doro Shea, very good players at this level. The, th the thing to say in summary is West Brom next season could be a disaster or could be great. I really, really struggle to nail down how they're going to do next season. So maybe mid-table. Maybe mid-table. <laughs> that may be looked at as a disaster from a West Brom fan perspective, but you know, it depends who you talk to. I, I'm in agreement with you. It, it, they are hard to predict, but I think what's what's pulling me in is the fact if Corbrand's still there next season, I don't think they need to score a lot of goals. We've shown that with Huddersfield that he just needs someone who's going to at least hit double figures, a couple of players hit double figures, someone who's got good delivery, Jack Wallace, that helps. And they're going to keep a fair few clean sheets. If the goalkeeper situation's pretty tied down, I think Alex Palmer picked up an injury and Josh Griffiths came in, did okay. David Button, probably best not to speak about him. If they can you know, have some consistency in, in, in the goalkeeper and the back line, I think they will clean sheet their way into a playoff challenge. 
which will be a decent a decent um, a decent season for, for West Brom considering everything that's surrounding them. There are just a lot of clouds and question marks over ownership, uh, resource, uh, and obviously whether Corbyn's going to be there come come preseason. Yep, you are spot on. And the final team in our report card, Justin, is of course Wigan Athletic. What have you given them? I've given them a C minus, maybe a C plus. If I'm if I'm tuned in, is that harsh? Is that, what was that? I've Ooh. given them an E. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, maybe I am being harsh, but I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm focusing too much on it. the Colo Torre era mm, um, when that was that was probably an F. Um, but I mean, I know they've obviously had plenty of points deducted, and there's been plenty going off on off the field. Um, but Wigan were quite poor this season. They they were, but they've been battling against it, haven't they? They've been up against it with, with dreadful ownership, a dreadful, dreadful ownership. And the job that Liam Richardson did was was admirable. He was clearly didn't have enough quality brought in in the summer, and he had a squad that was, he was trying to get to be competitive, which was difficult. And then him being sacked was a huge surprise. Obviously, everyone forgets because of everything that's happened. He was sacked just a couple of weeks after signing a new three-year contract, which mm. is 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 incredible. And then Colo Torre comes in and, well, that's just a disaster. Yeah, just the thing is, though, I'm not ranking the managers and what yeah, they've yeah, been yeah. up against. I'm ranking Wigan as a football club and they've been relegated now for quite some time. Well, it's, don't disagree with that. But again, you've got to consider what they've been fighting, up, fighting against. Poor, poor recruitment in the summer, ownership issues, three three managers. Maloney, I think, again, if you, I would grade Maloney as a B, I'd grade Richardson as a C, and I'd just give Torre an E. I think a, maybe it averages e. out as, as high a D. as an E. As <laughs> an E, an F, an F, okay, an F. And it probably averages out between, for me, a C, C minus. Yeah, again, you're, you're talking about managers. I'm talking about the football club as a whole, and the problems you've mentioned there were very self inflicted. They, they were by by the poor ownership, uh, but the ownership can, is the football club. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, if we we can we can judge other clubs by their ownership, it doesn't they, matter. It's it's all it's all conjecture. Um, looking ahead to next season, then me and you were both relatively optimistic about how Wigan could maybe bounce back in League One next season. Remember, they did very well in League One, where they got promoted. That's up. Uh, opt- optimism has very much gone. It, it's not even gone out the window at this point, has it? It's it's miles away now. Got in the car, drove away, just gone to someone else. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> the EFL's got them on the radar. So if they if they if the ownership doesn't pay wages on time going forwards, the EFL's going to clamp down on them. What player's going to want to join a club who has an ownership who don't pay their players on time, especially at League One level where their budget's reducing by sixty percent? I just can't see anything positive coming out of that club over the next few months. No, no, I'm the same. And I mean, the the number of missed payments for wages now is beyond ridiculous and shock. It's happened again this week where the wages haven't been paid on time. And the thing is with this Wigan squad, they are starting on minus points already. It may very well be double figures now when the season actually starts and they may keep getting points deducted as the season goes on. And that's going to be a really difficult obstacle for them to overcome if they're, you know, they could end up being something like 20 points down just because of the whole wage fiasco that's going on and Mm -hmm. doesn't show any signs of stopping. And with that being said, the thing is as well, players will probably want to leave if they're not getting paid. So you could have some very important players for them, the likes of Callum Lang, Will Keane, Jack Watmore, these kind of players who I would expect to be the key players for them in League One next season. They may all want to go. And then when it comes to signing players, Justin, if you're in the shoes of a player and Wigan come knocking at your door who aren't paying their players on time, would you really want to join them? So it's not looking good, is it, for Wigan? And right now, I'd say Wigan are more likely to get relegated again in League One than they are to get promoted at this point. Because if you're starting, if coming the end of the season, they're on minus, picking a random number off the top of my head here, 20 points, and the squad's just been obliterated, Wigan could be a bit of a laughing stock next season. 
Oh, well, maybe laughingstock's a bit harsh considering the minus points, but as long as it's only... I'm, not, I'm just not talking about the players, I'm talking about the football club as a whole and the yeah, owners. Yeah. If, they're, if they're on minus 20 points and the, the players have... The squad's just been completely torn apart, that sounds like a laughingstock to me if they're getting whipped in League One every week. But well, it's, it's going to be down to the ownership, and that's that's what my point is. They're not going to progress if, as long as this ownership's in charge. It's as simple as that. And what what is progression for Wigan next season? Is it ensuring that they don't get relegated? I think that's the the, the maximum aim. They've got to get to a magic number of points to ensure that they stay a third tier team. Because if they go down again, it'll be absolutely catastrophic for um, for the football club and everybody who's involved in the football club. What they've gone through over the years is is. You know, no one wants to go through it, and what the ownership's currently putting staff, players, and fans through now is is completely obscene. It's disgusting. It's ridiculous. And until until that ownership's out the door, very difficult thing to do. Until that ownership's out the door, the, the club's not going to go anywhere. Yep, one hundred percent. Right, that's been our report card, Justin. Have we got a game? We have. I've I've made a game. Yeah. What is it? It's Scott High or Ryan Low. I'm not made oh, up a game. Oh, wonderful. I don't have a jingle for that. So with that being said, Justin, how do we play Scott High Ryan Low? <laughs> Can you explain the rules? Because I've just... It's, it's high or lower, isn't it? But you explain well, the rules. Yes, you, you know no, the you've rules. just explained yeah. the game right there. Yeah, yeah. It is essentially higher or lower. <laughs> um, so Justin is going to say a statement and a figure associated with that statement. And all I've got to do is guess whether it's higher or lower than the number previous. Um, we don't play this very often, so it's always good to hear it mentioned. So with that being said, Justin... Can I have the first number, please? You can. I'll explain it a little bit first. In this version of the game, I'm going to give you players and the highest scoring seasons in the championship. So it's the highest scoring seasons that they've had in the championship. It doesn't matter which club. I'll Interesting. Explain it. Um, so if I say Ricardo Fuller scored 39, then say Mitrovic, you'll say... Ricardo Fuller scored 39. <laughs> he didn't, but he's got an ego. He says he would. Um, anyway, so Leicester City were recently relegated. And Jamie Vardy is set to return to the Championship. Hurrah. It launched his career. He scored 16 in Leicester City's title-winning campaign from the Championship in 2013-2014. Mm-hmm. He was partnered by David Nugent. Has David Nugent scored higher or lower than 16 in his career in the Championship? In one season at Championship level? In one season at Championship level. And what was the number again? Sorry, I've completely forgot. 16. 16! See, Dave Nugent was always, he, he was good for double figures each season once he, but he wasn't entirely prolific. Having said that, considering he's been in the championship for so long, I feel like he must have got more than 16 at some point. So you're going Scott High? I am going Scott High. Scott High. You'd be correct. He scored 20 for Leicester that same campaign. Well, I did not know that. There you go. Uh, that's one to me. How many? Have we yep. got eight? I think I've done 10, so this is... Oh, God, well, game. better yeah. crack on there, Justin. <laughs> Your new score is 20. Has Charlie Austin scored higher or lower in a single championship campaign? Oh, definitely higher. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised. No, well, you're you correct. He got more than 20 at QPR. Yeah, you're correct, and it wasn't for QPR. I hit 25 for Burnley in 2012-2013. Oh! Yeah. I reckon he must have got more than 20 for QPR anyway. You might have. I can't remember. So your new Two score is 25. Two out of two. New score is 25. Did Chris Martin score higher or lower? And 25? And 25. Ooh. Well, it would, have, of course, been for Derby because he never really hit the heights that much at anywhere else. <clears throat> um, I don't think he did hit 25. I think 25 is quite a high score. Again, I was surprised, but you are correct. He hit 20 for Derby in the 2013-14 season. Did end up with 25 that season, but that's because of the playoffs and cup campaigns. But I was surprised. I was surprised. Chris Martin was a bloody unbelievable striker back in the day. It was. It was incredible. 10 years ago, uh, yeah. Astonishing. But your new score is 20. You've got three out of three. Did Lewis Grabbin score higher or lower than 20? Again, Lewis Grabbin's kind of in the Dave Nugent category where he's been around for a while. And was good for a certain number of goals, but was never particularly prolific. However, I reckon he must have got over 20 at some point. You're doing well, yeah. He scored 22, but he scored 22 for Bournemouth in the 13-14 mm. season. For Bournemouth? Okay. okay. That's prior, prior to their promotion campaign. 
That is very interesting. Yeah. I did not, I wouldn't have been able to name which club it was. If you asked me to name the club as well, I would definitely not have got that. Four out of four. Doing well. New score is 22. Detroit, do you score higher or lower in a single championship campaign? Then how many? 22. Yeah. I think he must have got more than 22 in that season. Watford got automatic promotion. You're incorrect, but you are correct. He did get higher than 22. He got 24 Oh. At Watford in the thirteen fourteen season, that was the Deeney season. That was the season after the playoff drama and before the promotion campaign. It was a season where Watford were very oh Watford. Oh, okay, fair enough. Five out of five. This is going extremely well. It is. I am surprised. But your new score is twenty four. Did Billy Sharp score higher or lower in a single championship campaign? I don't think he did. I think Billy Sharp is, again, good for a certain number of goals, but I don't think he was. He had one season which was that prolific. So you're going Ryan Lowe. Ryan Lowe, yes. You're correct. But he scored 23 for Sheffield United oh. in the 18-19 season. I knew he scored quite a few that season, but I didn't think it was that many. Six out of six. I'm enjoying this. Even though you're actually battering through it, I'm enjoying this. Your new score is 23. Did Ricky Lambert score higher or lower in a single championship campaign? In 23? In 23. Yeah, I think he did. Very confident with that one. I remember Ricky Lambert had having an unbelievable season. It doesn't get talked about enough how good he was in that promotion season for Southampton. You are correct. He scored 25 in that promotion season, 2011-2012. 7 out of 7? Can I get a 10 out of 10? Might be, you might, might, you might just do it. So your new score is twenty-five. Sylvie Banks Blake, higher or lower? Then how many? Twenty-five. It was that season with Wolves, and that was a very good season for memory. Not sure if it's more than twenty-five though. My gut said it was, but I'm not very confident on that. So you're going higher? Yes. You're incorrect. He scored 23 in the away nine season. Damn it. The season before that, he scored 23 again. He was such a prolific goal scorer. Again, a striker that doesn't get enough credit at championship level. Yeah, really doesn't. Very good striker. Seven out of eight. Seven out of eight. Your new score is 23. Nathan Anton, the Duke. Did he score Did he score more than 23? High or lower? That's what I was getting at. Yep, you got it. Um, I don't think so. Definitive, you're going Ryan Lowe. I'm definitely going Scott Ryan Lowe. Ryan Lowe, you're incorrect. It's mm. blasphemous. The God, Nathan Anderson, scored 24 for Wigan in 04 05. That was an incredible season. And that's a season that, I harp on about all the time with him and Jason Roberts. Yeah, but I didn't think he scored that many. He so scored that, that's more for me. Seven out of nine. Final one, Justin. Your new score is 24. Matai Vidra, higher or lower? I know the season Vidra was top scorer with Derby. That was 20, which was a really low score, a really low tally for a top goal scorer. It's a bad season, bad season for goal scorers. Um, But he did score a lot of goals with Watford. What was the number again? Uh, 24. This podcast could be about half its length if I didn't just keep asking that all the time. I think... He didn't score 24. You'd be correct. His highest was 21, which surprised me. That's for really Derby. Good striker. It's a good, good second striker. Come on. Yeah. Well, he's one of those ones who he would go to a club and either do brilliantly or not very well. He was very hit and miss, depending on what club he was at wanting. Uh, there we go, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. That's been Scott High Ryan Lowe. This has been the Secretary Podcast. So, of course... This is the summer now and we're still putting out content even though there's no football for uh, us to talk about. You may be wondering when are we going to be talking about transfers or championship news. Well, we're planning on doing kind of a roundup every one or two weeks over the summer. So we'll discuss all the bits and pieces that are going on in the championship over the coming weeks but at the moment there haven't been many transfers for us to talk about so we'll wait until they start piling up and that's when we'll get our teeth into all of that but we look forward to seeing you soon we're back again on thursday where we're going to be talking about the promoted 
and relegated teams to the championship. So we look forward to talking about that, talking about the new boys, some of the teams me and Justin haven't even mentioned on the podcast yet. Well, that's going to be very exciting for the two of us. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Secretary Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.